Well, good morning to you again. Uh, so glad that y'all are with us this morning. If you have been a part of Christ the King, you'll know that we have been in a sermon series uh, in the Gospel of Mark um, for the last little while. And we're going to stay in Mark this morning, but we are going to uh, move ahead just a little bit. So if you have a Bible with you or have access to a Bible, uh, I'm going to read here from Mark chapter 12. Uh, verses 28 through 34. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. And this is uh, the word of the Lord for us this morning. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. Seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one. And there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. The word of the Lord. You know, this past Monday, I woke up to two pieces of news that actually made me rub my eyes. And I'm not going to rub my eyes right now because I know that I'm not supposed to. Uh, But I just had to rub my eyes to make sure I was seeing things correctly. The first thing I saw was an article in the Wall Street Journal that basically said that the price of oil had suffered its single largest drop since 1991. That's a long time ago, almost 30 years ago. It seems that Russia and Saudi Arabia have been unable to play nicely together and are now flooding the world with a supply of oil that there is no demand for. Now, I'm a history major, but even I know that if you have high supply and low demand, that's not good for a particular industry. The second piece of news related to the continued spread or actions taken in attempt to contain the spread of coronavirus, particularly as we saw early in the week in Washington State and in and around New York City. That news, as you know and have experienced and are experiencing right now because you are watching this worship service on your computer, has continued to develop throughout the week so that now we are under a declaration of emergency at all levels, the city, the county, the state, and the federal. Feeling the weight of all this, I decided that I would turn to the fount of all wisdom, Facebook. And do you know what I found there on Facebook? Basically, two diametrically opposed positions. Now, this was earlier in the week. Two polls, if you will, related to COVID-19. One poll could be summarized like this. Everybody panic! That response is basically driven by fear. 
But the other poll can be summed up like this. Everybody who is concerned about coronavirus is basically stupid. Those were the two polls. So if you're feeling anxious, you're, either being acu- you're accused of either being manipulated by the enemies of the president or being overly influenced by the fear mongers of the media. Now, admittedly, that response has begun to wane as reality has begun to sink in. But there is still a lot of heat, a lot of hype, and it's hard to find what is true. Two poles that seem to be diametrically opposed to one another. And you know what? This is very much the world that we live in pretty much all the time now in our country. Two poles diametrically opposed. But is there a third way? And should those who follow after Christ search for that third way, seek it, find it, speak of it, live by it? I think that there is. And I also think that as followers of Jesus, we have a great opportunity right now in the midst of a time of crisis to lean into and to live out our faith in Christ, to bear witness to the reality of our redemption and the redemption of all things in Christ Jesus. Think of it this way. In the subculture that most of us live in, now we're on Facebook. I don't know who's watching this, which is, which is cool in one respect. But if you lived in Houston, and if you do live in Houston, what are the things that are causing people here the most fear and anxiety right now? Well, two of those things we're struggling with even as we speak. Threats to personal health and to the health of our families, that brings us anxiety. But also financial and or vocational insecurity, loss of income, loss of wealth. That brings us anxiety. And that is what our city is facing right now. If you confess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, how does the rubber meet the road in a time like this? How do you lean into and live out of what it is that you profess to be true about God? and about the Lord Jesus Christ? The answer to this question, really, these questions, is a matter of what the Bible calls wisdom. And wisdom is exactly what the Bible produces in those who have faith in Christ. Wisdom is practical knowledge that is formed in us by the Holy Spirit, working in and through God's Word, that is lived out in the context of the world. So wisdom is practical knowledge formed in us by the Holy Spirit working in and through the Word of God that is lived out in the context of the world. That's the goal. What the Bible itself refers to as the telos of the Scriptures in your life. So our question this morning is this. How do we apply the wisdom cultivated in us by the Scriptures to this time of physical and economic uncertainty? How do we do that? Well, one way to answer this question is to go to Mark chapter 12, to go to Jesus' own summary of what the Bible, the Bible that he had at that time, which is really the Old Testament, what that whole thing was about, he said. Love of God and love of God of neighbor. And I think we can look at it in two frames this morning. As followers of Jesus, we are called to live by faith and not by fear. 
And second, as followers of Jesus, we are called to live by provision and not by protection. So first, as followers of Jesus, we are called to live by faith and not by fear. The episode that I read about this morning from the Gospel of Mark took took place in what Christians now call Holy Week. It was the week between the time of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, what we now call Palm Sunday, and his crucifixion, what we now call Good Friday. This was a week that was characterized highly by conflict, mostly conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders in the city of Jerusalem. And in the middle of this conflict, a scribe who was an expert in what we now call the Old Testament, he was an expert in it because he spent all of his time reading it and learning it and studying it and copying it down, a scribe turned to him and asked him a question that may have been meant to trap Jesus, but ended up to be a fruitful exchange. And he asked him this question, which commandment is the most important of all? Now, Jesus did not hesitate. Jesus knew his Bible. He went straight to Deuteronomy chapter 6. The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now, that's not meant to be a taxonomy of all the different parts of a human being. It's basically Jesus telling us that we are called, or God telling us through his scriptures, that we are called to love God with everything that is in us, with all that we have. Why? And how does that help us live with wisdom in light of our current moment here in Houston? Well, to love God is, first of all, to come to a full realization of who God is, the creator and the redeemer of all things, not just with your intellect, but with your entire being. To love God is to understand and to lean on the truth that your life is hid with Christ. In fact, that Christ is is your life. And if Christ is your life, then you have nothing to fear in this world and you are freed up to live by faith. Let me give you an example. In 1997, uh, an historian of the Christian church named Rodney Stark wrote a really great book called The Rise of Christianity. He has a chapter in this book that is called Epidemic networks and conversions and he argues in that chapter that Christianity increased significantly as a proportion of the population in the very early centuries during times of epidemic plagues. He points to one plague in particular it was in the North African city of Alexandria in the second century that wiped out a staggering portion of the population But when the dust settled from that plague, there were many more followers of Jesus in Alexandria as a portion of the population than there were before the plagues hit. And this was not because the plagues spared the lives of the Christians because they were Christians. They got sick and they died as well. But it did highlight the major differences in the way that the followers of Jesus viewed the world in contrast to the way that those who um, still leaned on pagan religions, mainly the religions of the Greeks and the Romans, how they viewed the world. For the pagans, the gods were really only there to intervene in the world, if they wanted to, and if you could convince them to do so. That's what they were there for. 
If they chose not to, there was really no category of heaven, no category of life after death, no new heavens or new earth, no renewed body. So if you died, you died. So pagans, including the doctors, fled when epidemics descended. A doctor thought, well, I'm not very much good if I'm dead, and so they would just leave the sick to suffer and to die in miserable conditions. The followers of Jesus, though, whom the pagans actually derisively called Galileans, even though they weren't really from Galilee, they were followers of Jesus, they did not flee. They stayed. They cared for the sick among them, both those who were Christians and those who were not Christians. And a lot of them who got that very basic care basically weren't just left to starve or to be dehydrated, actually got better. Because, it, because people stayed and ministered to the sick, and then Christianity grew. Their survival was greater because they took basic care of people, and their witness and courage was way more powerful than the urge to flee. And what was it that caused them to stay, to walk into the pain? It was that they lived by faith and not by fear. You see, they saw their life on this earth in biblical terms. They knew that they were but pilgrims, strangers and aliens in a place that is not their ultimate home. They looked forward to and they longed for the new heavens and the new earth where they would dwell for all eternity, where there would be no pestilence, no pain, and no death. So they were willing. They were willing to love others. They were willing to get sick. They were willing to die. Because in their view of the world, they did not lose anything. Rather, in their view of the world, they actually gained something. Now, if you're a Christian, seasons like this in the life of our culture, an economic downturn and a season of sickness, A season like this can serve a diagnostic purpose. A season like this can help us realize the truth of where we put our hope. You see, if your hope lies in your own personal health and your own personal well-being, you'll know. You will know. If your hope lies in your economic and your financial security and in your wealth, you'll know. But also, if your hope lies in Christ, if your life is hid in Christ, if Christ is your life, you'll know. You'll know because you'll be willing to live by faith and not by fear. But this raises a tension, I think, Because I think that there are many who might be listening to this right now heartily agreeing with what I just said, but maybe actually misapplying it. Because your attitude right now might be something like this. Yes, that's exactly right. And all those people who are afraid are just stupid. They're being manipulated by the media. Just take your vitamins. You'll be fine. Go everywhere, touch everything. I'm not afraid. Well, that has troubling aspects to it, and let me tell you why. Because as followers of Jesus, we're called to live by faith and not by fear, but we're also called 
to provision and not protection. Let me tell you what I mean here. This is where we come to the second great commandment. We find it in verse 31 of Mark 12. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew, in his gospel, follows that up with these words of Jesus. On these two commandments, love God and love neighbor, depend all the law and the prophets. And otherwise, the summary of what we call the Old Testament is boiled down to two things, loving God and loving our neighbors. You see, you may not live in fear. You may walk in faith. But do you also love your neighbor? That's why this moment that we live in is such a tricky moment. Because what if the very thing that Christians most long to do, which is gather together, is the one thing that is most dangerous for the most vulnerable people? How do we live with wisdom in these times? We live with wisdom in these times by defaulting to the love of our neighbors, by not treating others like their fears or their anxieties or their very real vulnerabilities are trivial, by not suggesting that those who shun large gatherings like worship services or those who take their worship services online by not suggesting that they lack spiritual maturity or are just reacting out of fear. They are not. The first act of love is not to be cavalier. That's actually self-centered and not other-centered. But on the other hand, of course, we can go to the other extreme. The other extreme is to laser focus all of your attention and all of your concern on yourself and on your own family. In times of economic crisis and illness, this is particularly tempting. I need to make sure that I am secure. I need to make sure that I am safe. I need to make sure that I am okay. But love of neighbor calls us not only to make sure that I am secure, that my family is secure, that I am safe, that my family is safe, but that my neighbor is secure, that my neighbor is cared for. So with respect to what is going on right now in your neighborhood, in our city, with respect to COVID-19, we can begin asking ourselves some questions. We must begin asking ourselves some questions. Most school districts are out for at least some period of time. My guess is a long period of time. Considering that our single largest, think about this for a second, if you're a member of Christ the King, our single largest church-wide serving event is related to meeting the needs of children who suffer from food insecurity over the two weeks that they're out for Christmas break. What of those who are suffering from food insecurity for an unknown period of time? Will the school districts relax their rules on serving food if school's not in session? Some school districts have done that. No word on that yet from Spring Branch ISD where this building is located. But what does that mean for the church? What does that mean for you? It has to mean something. You're going to think that this is a joke, but it's not. 
Maybe right now you have 200 rolls of toilet paper in your garage. You might. How many rolls of toilet paper do your neighbors have in their garage? I'm not kidding. What if today you walked up and down your street and figured out how much toilet paper your street has? And what if today you are willing to give it away, not sell it, to give it away? What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself when it comes to things like toilet paper? Who do you know in Houston that is a medical professional, a doctor, a nurse, a technician, a hospital administrator, anybody at all that is connected to the world of medicine? Do you know that they're going to be working hard, very hard, and very long, and they're going to be exposing themselves to becoming sick and to falling ill, exhausting themselves? Who's caring for them and how when they're caring for us? They're our neighbors. How are we loving those neighbors as we love ourselves? What about those in our church or in our neighborhoods who are most vulnerable to infection? The elderly, those with compromised immune systems, those who self-quarantine or those who have to quarantine. Who's going to care for them to meet their needs, but also to make sure that they don't simply just fall off the map into loneliness and anxiety and fear. Love of God, you see, leads us to love of neighbor. Faith, which is the opposite of fear, leads to provision, which is the opposite of protection. And all of this is balanced with wisdom because in our zeal to serve and to love, we also want to make sure that we don't do greater harm. It's hard. It takes wisdom. But let's walk in with wisdom. You know, I do have a hope for this moment in our history. And I'm going to tell it to you now. And, 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 and I, I, I need to think about this some more. But this is my hope. My hope is that the Holy Spirit is being gracious to the church in America right now. Is being gracious to the church in America right now by essentially allowing us to hit the reset button on our reason for existence. To hit the reset button on our reason for existence. The other option would be that God would just remove the lampstand from among us and just let us suffer the slow death that comes uh, from pretending that we have everything uh, you know, to offer the world when we're comfortable and things are going smoothly. If we can just offer the right worship experience or our programs are better than the programs of the church down the street and we can attract more Christians than they can attract, those kinds of things. You see, the church... Uh, kind of promises times of comfort and ease. But what does the church have to offer and what does the church have to say when that rug is ripped out from under us? We try, Christ the King, not to be that church, the one that just promises comfort and ease, great programs, really good life, kind of a smooth life, great experiences. We try not to be that church, but we kind of are sometimes. We kind of are. But the church that is going to have something to offer, 
in the coming weeks, in the coming months, and maybe the coming years. The church is, is, is going to have something to offer is the church that is not defined, is not defined by the great experience that they can provide on a Sunday morning. Or it's not going to be defined by the excellence of its programs. It's not going to be defined by the beauty of its building. It's not going to be defined by the size of its property. It's not going to be defined by what denomination it is, it's in, or how many members it has. It's going to be a church, the churches, and the larger church, that most models what the church actually is. The people of God who bear witness to the good news of the redemption of all things in Christ. What we have to offer in a time like this is the utter willingness to walk into whatever the mess is with the hope of a resurrected Savior and bringing to bear marks of what is true in heaven onto this earth. That's what we have. So when this virus passes from among our midst, which I don't think is going to be very soon, my actual hope is that things will not return to normal. My hope is that we, the people of God at Christ the King, would live for the rest of our existence as if we were living in the midst of a time of pestilence and plague. Do you know why? Because even when it's not so obvious... We are. Even in the best of times, we are living in the midst of the pestilence of the idolatry of wealth and comfort and ease and achievement and this crazy political idolatry that we have going on, this broken sexuality, broken marriages, broken relationships, shame and anxiety and utter disbelief. It's just a plague by another name. It's a plague that we are called to walk into and bear witness to the good news of Jesus Christ in the middle of. So no, no to business as usual. Please, Lord, don't let it be. That actually might be the worst judgment that God could afflict on us. Would be that we just said, whew, man, got through that. Now let's just go back to the way things were let's not let's not go back to the way things were there's an amazing scene in the miniseries band of brothers that's right there toward the end of the miniseries if you haven't seen it or read the the book upon which it is based band of brothers follows a company of the 101st airborne division from their training before world war ii all the way through their participation in the war to the end of the war and in the scene that the, 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 toward the end of the miniseries, the war was coming to a close. They were in Germany. Germany was essentially defeated, but they had not yet actually surrendered. And the soldiers of the 101st Airborne were occupying a town that had been heavily and repeatedly bombed by the Allies. It was basically this whole town was reduced to multiple piles and giant piles of rubble. And as the soldiers were walking through this town, they stopped because they saw something crazy. A string quartet that was literally sitting on top of a pile of rubble playing Beethoven's number 14, Opus 131. 
And it was truly, utterly, breathtakingly beautiful. It was beauty that broke into and played out in the middle of what was quite literally broken and crumbling to the ground. That, my friends, is the call of the church. To bear witness to what is beautiful and true. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Bear witness to that in the midst of a pandemic. Bear witness to that when oil is $31 or whatever it is and not $75 when you know, that sort of masks discomfort. Why would we want to go back to normal when life seems normal? Let it not be. Bear witness to the love and the care and the truth and the grace of God with wisdom and with faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that you did not disregard the pain and the mess, but that you walked into it. You, Jesus, who are the wisdom of God and the power of God, let us be those who walk into the pain of this moment, but also not only into this moment, for all of our moments, with faith and with wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.